Hey friends, welcome to Wild Hearts with Janine. I'm Janine, the host of this podcast, and I am genuinely so excited that you are tuning in today. Wild Hearts is for those who are passionate about diving deep, keeping it real, reclaiming their passions, and getting after the things that they were made to do without apology. In each episode, I sit down with a fellow Wild Heart to talk about life, travel, faith, and everything in between. So let's dive in. All right, here are some of the most frequently asked questions I get via Instagram, email, etc., etc., all around solo travel. And I'm going to answer them all for you right here, right now. So the first question I get a lot is, how am I able to travel so much? Uh, This is probably a little more pre-pandemic days, um, but still the question is super valid. So it's a really good one too. Um, Prior to taking my first long-term Europe trip a few years ago, I spent two years a pretty aggressively paying off my student loans. And after that, I spent almost another full year saving in the same way. So I was working full time and I had multiple side hustles in order to, first of all, get out of debt and then second, save for travel. I ended up saving around $10,000 for that first trip, which was funded, ended up funding the majority of those four and a half months that I spent all over Europe. And right before that, I before that trip, I landed a very part-time job. It was about eight hours a week, and it was remote, and I helped a small business update and manage their website, which gave me um, a little more spending money on my trip, which was really great. And then right before I was kind of set to fly back to the States after those four and a half months, that company asked if I wanted to take on more hours and more responsibility. So it was kind of just perfect timing and gave me the opportunity to continue to travel for even longer. So I spent around eight months traveling around the U.S., um, visiting friends and family kind of all over the place before I ended up going back to Europe for another four months. As of now, um, or as for now, rather, I still work remotely, but I'm kind of a more traditional freelancer. I have a couple of consistent clients. Um, Some of them are, you know, same hours each month. I work on a retainer style. Some are a little more project-based, so the hours fluctuate. And then I also recently launched my traveling business, which is super exciting. And I'm really just loving getting to help other people get themselves out into the world, no matter their budget. That's a big thing for me. Um, And in case you missed it, I do uh, travel planning now. So I do one-on-one travel planning as well as have my digital travel guides that are available on my website. Um, But yeah, it's super fun and I love getting to meet people right where they're at and help them see as much as they want within their means. It's super fun for me because I definitely kind of niche a little more or err more on the side of budget travel, but I've also been able to help people plan trips that are super elaborate and luxurious and might not be trips that I would necessarily take, but I'm stoked to get to help people travel in the way that they want to. So all of these things, my freelance clients, project-based clients, as well as my business help to obviously one, pay the bills. Um, And then two, they let me travel more freely. So even though I might not have, you know, kind of traditional paid time off as a freelancer, that's definitely a downside to freelancing in case you've ever wondered, I don't have paid time off. I do though have the ability and freedom to work from anywhere in the world, which 
you guys is such a gift. I don't think I can explain it. Um, it's, it's a real gift to be able to go anywhere and know that I can work if I need to, while also knowing it's okay to take time off, even if I might not be getting paid for it because I have the freedom and the ability to work when I want. So maybe it means before taking a week-long trip, I just kind of put in double time the week before um, to ensure that my work is complete and things are ready to go so that I have uh, the space and the margin to take that week off fully and then come right back and not be immediately stressed out. Um, However, if you don't find yourself in the same position as I am in, that doesn't mean you can't also find ways to make travel a priority in your life. I have always recommended considering long weekend trips, like, you know, three or four day trips, and then even trying to kind of work them around paid holidays. That way you only have to take like one to two days off of work while still getting in a three to five day trip, which is such a win. And I always say too, like, you don't have to go hop on a plane for 10 hours for it to be a worthwhile trip. If you can hop in your car and get somewhere in, I don't know, three to six hours, I'm a proponent for even driving eight to 10 hours. I'm a big road trip kind of gal. Um, And being in Nashville, I'm about eight hours from a lot of really cool cities like New Orleans or Charleston or uh, Chicago. I can get to all these places in about eight hours. And those are great destinations for kind of like a long weekend trip. So definitely um, like assess your situation, obviously. But remember, it doesn't have to be a four and a half month trip to Europe to be a, you know, life-changing or worldview-shifting trip. You could literally go somewhere that's just a couple hours away. Whether you're with friends or your family or you're going solo, um, you have the opportunity to travel. You just have to find ways to make it work for you and prioritize that. So, yeah. Another question I get a lot is, what do I do with Amos when I'm traveling and do I feel guilty? So if you've been around for a while, you know, about two years ago, right at the start of the pandemic, I adopted a dog. I was that stereotype and I didn't think about it. It was probably the most impulsive decision um, I've made, <laughs> maybe ever. Um it's a, and it's a very valid and real question. Obviously, I did a lot of my big travel before having a dog and got a dog in the pandemic and obviously haven't done that style of travel since. Um, but I've taken some, you know, long weekends, even a week away. I went to Alaska last year. I've gone to Harry Potter World a few times. So funny. Um, or I've gone away for a weekend to go see friends in another city. And so I do sometimes feel guilty leaving my best buddy home when I head off to explore somewhere um, where he can't join me. But I do have a list of really trusted, wonderful friends who basically love him as much as I do. And they're always willing to help out, stay at my place maybe um, while I'm out, or even take him to theirs, which is a real gift. I don't think I can explain how wonderful it is to have friends who love him so much. I did a lot of dog sitting when I was getting out of debt and saving for that first trip. And so I know how crucial it is to find people who um, love you and love your animals and will, um, you know, be there for them and all those sorts of things. So I'm grateful to have a gift, uh, the gift of friends who just love Amos and are always willing to hang out with him if if they're available Um, because I really love him a lot. Uh, The first year was difficult and I had to deal with a lot of, um, you know, uh, buyer's remorse almost, so to speak. But nowadays, I just love him so much. I can't imagine life without him. I definitely can't imagine the last two years without him. Um, So I always want to ensure that he's thriving and and living his best life even when I'm not here. Um, I've also found this to be kind of the most cost-effective solution in terms of, obviously, when I travel, I 
there's a dog care expense, right? If someone's taking care of your dog, you have to pay them. Um, but I found this to be the most cost-effective way is having friends or people I trust and love who can just stay at my place and watch him, especially compared to boarding or other options like that. And most of my friends are super gracious and willing to kind of take a lower amount of money for watching him. Um, I do try to really upsell the fact that I live alone, so they get to kind of have like a solo retreat, and I live in a really great walkable neighborhood, so there's lots of cool things to do. And He's a pretty good dog out in public, so you can even bring him with you if the weather's nice and sit outside, things like that. So I kind of upsell it as like, have a little solo retreat at my house with Amos and get the best cuddles ever. Um, but yeah, my friends are still super gracious when my budget is a little bit tighter. They've always been very kind. Um, and then other solutions I've looked into when I've been in a pinch are things like Rover. It's an app for dog walking and dog sitting as well as cats. I think kind of all pets. And I have friends who have cats who've used Rover to have people watch their animals too. So that's a great solution if you don't necessarily have friends or family in the area that can hang out with your dog or or your animal while you go out and travel. Rover is another really great option. Um, another question, what is the best time to look for and book flights? Do you have any favorite airlines? Another excellent question. You guys ask really great questions. Um, here's my simple answer. You can look for flights at any time. And I actually recommend checking flight options and prices often, especially if you have a good idea of on or around the exact dates you know you want to fly. As for when you should book them, I'm sure, um, you know, we all kind of get that COVID things have kind of changed things up a bit and might continue to do so for the next little bit in terms of flying and travel in general. But it's generally agreed upon by most um, industry experts that the best time to book flights domestically, so if you're flying state to state here in the U.S., is anywhere from about one to three months out from your trip. I always kind of go with eight weeks. Six to eight weeks is usually about when I book my flights if they're domestic, if I'm trying to get the best deal. Um, whereas if you're looking to travel internationally, um, whether that's you're coming from another country into the U.S. or vice versa, it's more like two to eight months is about when you should be booking your flights. I think eight months is so far out personally. Um, I always booked mine about three months out, maybe four months if I was like really in the planning process and wanted to get that done. I also do know that when you book your flight, it's like makes the trip real. So sometimes booking it earlier might be of benefit to you in that regard. But yeah, so to kind of sum it up, I think you should be looking for flights all the time. Just keep your like eye on things. If you're using Google Flights, set up um, tracking alerts so that you get an email when flights uh, prices increase and decrease, things like that. And then when you're booking, if it's domestic, I don't know, two to three months out. If it's international, I'd say like three to four months out. I highly recommend as well subscribing to email lists like Scott's Cheap Flights to get specific alerts for low priced flights from airports near you. So I subscribe to Scott's Cheap Flights as well as a couple others. And they know that like Nashville, is my departing airport. I think I also said like Chicago is a good one because typically there are a ton of flights from Nashville to Chicago and they're pretty cheap. And I get alerts when there are flight price drops. Um, 
domestically and internationally from Nashville or Chicago, which is really great. It will make you have a lot of wanderlust, but it's just a great way to get alerted of really good flights if you have flexibility um, in your traveling plans. So I'm not necessarily, when it comes to airlines, I'm not necessarily super loyal to any one or another, mainly just because I always try to make sure to check like all the options across like all the airlines, especially using Google Flights and checking Southwest separately. Um, I do often find Southwest is the most affordable for the types of trips that I take. So I do tend to fly with them the majority of the time. Some people hate it. Some people love it. I love it. I kind of like that you get to choose your seat and you don't have to pay for bags and stuff. I don't know. Maybe I'm loyal to Southwest. Who knows? Maybe that's what I'm discovering right now. Um, But like, for example, when I went to Alaska last year, I flew Delta because my round trip flights were only $350. So I'm not someone who's like, well, I have points with Southwest, so I'm going to make Southwest work for this trip. I'm like, nah, 350 to Alaska and back? We're just going to go with whatever airline that is. So I always say go with what's cheapest. Obviously, there's some discretion there, but if that's not your jam, I think that's totally okay, too, if you're a loyalist to a couple airlines and stick with those. Um, I just, you know, I'm the person who's going to, like, save money on transit so that I can spend money on experience, if that makes sense, when I'm at my destination. So not loyal to any. Um, I probably fly Southwest more than any other airline, but that's just because it's cheap because I care about saving money. So (laughs) that's my answer there. What is the best luggage? Okay, so this is going to be different for any person, depending on kind of what your needs are, what kinds of trips you're taking, things like that. Um, If you're super into aesthetic, that might change your your mind too. But um, I think if you're able to spend more money up front, I could not recommend away luggage any more than I already do. I took their medium-sized bag around Europe twice, so it was like a total of nine months, and I even basically lived out of it while traveling the States. Um, I was road tripping around the United States. I was flying. I really lived out of it for a total of like 16 months, and it has withstood just like countless buses and planes and trains, you know, the hills of Lisbon, which trust me, are a workout, Um, cobblestone streets across like small towns in France, and more. And it... like has withstood all of it and still looks, feels, rolls amazingly. Plus it comes with a legitimate lifetime warranty. Away has a lifetime warranty on most of the parts of their bags. So you really can't go wrong with investing more up front. I'm a big advocate in case you didn't know, I am a big advocate for investing in pieces that are going to last a lot longer rather than getting kind of the cheapy item that might fall apart after a few uses. And that's for a few reasons. One, you end up spending more money um, over the long term when you keep buying cheap items that have to be replaced. And two, that's like not sustainable and it's wasteful. And I am trying to be as an adult better about more conscientious, sustainable, ethical shopping and things like that. So getting a lot of cheap bags that break or fall apart and that you just end up throwing away isn't great for the environment. So um, if you're able to invest and you have the means to invest, um, I highly recommend getting an away bag. I now, um, I finally just got a carry-on because I had a carry-on for six years that I got at Target and it it did me so well. It took me around the country and took me to Vancouver, Canada. And um, I loved that bag. I took like six New York trips just with that one bag. Um, But the handle finally broke. And so it was time to to switch it up and get something new. And um, 
I was able to get an away bag and love it. I absolutely love it. So now I have like a big checked bag and a carry-on bag. I usually only take one bag per trip, but still. Um, away is awesome. I also have a link for a discount if you want $20 off an away bag. I will link it for you guys so that you can check that out. Um, I think they're totally worth it. I've had my medium-sized bag now for four years, and uh, it still looks, rolls, feels amazing. So highly recommend Another bag brand I've looked into quite a bit is called Baboon to the Moon, which I think is so cute. Um, it aims to make sustainable adventure gear that will last. That's kind of their mission statement. And I think that their Go backpacks, as they're called, are pretty amazing. They seem to hold a ton of stuff. So if a backpack is more your jam than kind of a traditional luggage rolling suitcase, I def definitely recommend checking them out. I do know their bags are also like, they come in really fun colors. They're waterproof um, and they are backpacks, right? So they're a little bit, give you more hands-free experience while traveling. And then a more traditional backpack brand that I know a lot of travelers seem to love is Osprey, which you can get at places like REI, sporting stores, or even on Amazon. Although, please go to stores. Don't get things on Amazon. That's just my plug. <laughs> okay, next question. Packing essentials. What are your do's and don'ts? I do go over a lot of packing tips in my um, downloadable simple guide to solo travel, but here's kind of like the top points when it comes to I don't know, best practices for, for packing, I guess. So I always say, first of all, choose the right kind of luggage. So kind of like we talked about just in this last question, figure out like how you want to travel and how um, do you want to be hands-free? Do you not want to put pressure on your back? Do you want more space? Do you want compression? Things like that. So kind of figure out what what like is most important to you there and then choose the right kind of luggage. Um, second tip is to always check the weather in the destination you're headed to and try to make a packing list beforehand. You don't need to stick to your packing list, but I do think it's a really easy way to avoid overpacking um, as well as packing the wrong things. So if you're checking the weather, you kind of know what you're going to be dealing with. You'll know if you need a rain jacket or if you need wool socks and things like that. Um, but then having a packing list will help kind of keep you on track so that you don't overpack. Overpacking is the worst thing because then if you're, whether you're carrying it on your back or you're like pulling a handle, like that extra weight, you're going to feel it every day. <laughs> so I always recommend underpacking. That's just my my little gist there. But uh, third tip is to use packing cubes, compression, compressionable. I don't know if that's a word, but packing cubes that compress your clothing items down. I have had the same ones for five or six years. They're wonderful. It also helps you organize your clothes. So like you can put all of your shirts or all of your pants into one and, you know, your undergarments into another. So it helps kind of keep your bag organized regardless of what kind of bag you use. And then when you are actually putting things into packing cubes, I recommend rolling your items. I just think that that's the, the way to save the most space while still being able to see everything in your compression bags. Even if you don't use compression bags, you should still roll your clothes in your luggage because, again, you can then see everything. Um, it helps also keep things a little more wrinkle-free if that matters to you, things like that. So definitely roll your roll your clothes. And then last tip for packing, I say, is to pack 
quote-unquote multi-purpose items. So when it comes to clothing, packing things that can be worn with multiple outfits or in multiple ways is great because that's going to save you space while still giving you like multiple outfits out of one thing. That's why I love wearing dresses if in nice weather, spring, summer, early fall, um, because it's one item of clothing and it's an entire outfit. Um, so yeah, big advocate for like multi-purpose items that you can pack or like a pair of sneakers that can be dressed up or down, things like that. And again, always pack less than you think you're going to need because even then you might find you still packed too much. So those are my do's and don'ts for packing. Next question is, how can you save for travel, especially while you're in college, getting out of debt, or saving for other things? Great question. Um, My biggest recommendation here is to decide what your priorities are first. So if travel is a priority to you, which it probably is if you're asking this kind of a question, then let's kind of start with your mindset here. If if that's a priority to you, if travel is something you really want to do this year, um, make it a monthly goal to save a certain amount of money for travel. So um, if you don't have a monthly budget, I do recommend you try and make one and stick to it. Um, but even regardless, even if you don't, try to in your mind or on paper, put a note somewhere you're going to see it every day, that you are going to save I don't know, $200 a month for travel or whatever that number is for you that makes sense. What kind of margin do you have? What kind of sacrifices can you potentially make to hit that number per month that you can be saving for travel in particular? I say kind of like treat it as if it's a payment you have to make each month to avoid making excuses or justifying other kinds of purchases as to or or even justifying as to why you can't save. So if you look at it as a bill I guess um, it's a bill to yourself, essentially. You're not paying the water company or your landlord or your phone, like, you know, your cell phone company or anything like that. Instead, you are paying yourself for a future goal. You're paying yourself so that you can eventually have the money, have the funds, have the means and the resources to go take that trip that you've been dreaming about. So I always say try and save a certain amount per month. I do this. I've done it for years now and I have a little savings account. Um, that's all for travel, which is really great. And it means that I can travel if and when I want to. And money, ideally, shouldn't be the thing that keeps me from doing that. As for some practical tips to making some money for travel, um, if your day job or your full-time job or however you want to phrase it isn't giving you enough margin to be able to save, you can always pick up some side hustles um, if your full-time income just isn't going to cut it. So when I was getting out of debt, even just alone when I was getting out of debt during that season, I worked enough in my side hustles, um, which included, I mean, very simple things, babysitting, house sitting. I did tutoring for a year, which was I qualified for that? Probably not, but you know, it happened. Um, I sold goods on Facebook Marketplace, clothes I didn't wear, things like that. And I ended up earning in those almost two years, um, almost $18,000, which to this day still blows my mind because in the, in the moments, in the months, it didn't feel like it was that much. And then I added it up once I was out of debt and I was like, holy, how did that, how did that happen? (laughs) that's crazy. So all that said, picking up some side hustles can really help you towards your goals if if travel is one of them or whatever your goal might be. If you're trying to get out of debt, save for house, whatever it is you might be doing, a side hustle is always a good idea. Um, 
I I don't recommend like making a number like 18,000 a goal necessarily, um, only because I was kind of miserable in that season. Ask any one of my friends if we're still even friends now, because honestly, I was it was hard. I was kind of a soul sucking season. I wouldn't ever try and work that much again on top of a full time job. Um, I don't regret it because it got me to where I am. But even if you cut that number in half, um, if it was $9,000 over two years, that's still $4,500 a year in side hustles, which is a really great trip. Um, it's either one really amazing trip or a couple of still really great trips. So if you can pick up a little side hustle and start saving money toward that thing you want, and I'm assuming it's travel since you're asking this kind of question, always a good idea in my opinion. Um, yeah, so recommended side hustles that I have for you again, babysitting, pet or house sitting, tutoring, but maybe be qualified. I was not. Um, Selling clothes or things you don't need on um, uh, platforms like Facebook Marketplace, Poshmark, Depop, ThreadUp, things like that. Offering really another type of service that you might be able to do. So like if lawn care is something that you know how to do and like to do, you could always start a little side business doing lawn care or something like that. Maybe it's making crafts. I don't know. You could open an Etsy shop. Like the the options are limitless. You just have to sit down and figure out what that thing would be for you. So um, side hustles are great if you have the time and the margin to be able to, to put toward that. I think you could definitely be saving for travel no matter what season of life you might be in. All right. What are your best budgeting tips while traveling? This is a question I get asked a lot. I'm actually currently working on a freebie um, that I'll have available on my website, hopefully really soon about just how to travel on a budget. But I think really budget, the word budget is probably pretty specific to each traveler. I think, again, we kind of all prioritize what's most important to us. And therefore I think, you know, what, what we think is important when we travel is probably going to differ between each of us. But for me, I kind of mentioned this earlier, I always choose to save on transportation and lodging. So I tend to go cheap on flights, buses, etc., as well as where I stay. Um, usually opting for things like Airbnbs or hostels, depending on the, the destination. Europe, I did a lot of hostels with some Airbnbs mixed in. In the States, I usually do Airbnb. Um, although there are really great hostels in the States too, you just have to look for them. Um, that way I have more margin and more money to spend on things like experiences and really good meals. Those are just the things that I want to prioritize. I want like really cool experiences, really good food, I'm only in the place I sleep for, you know, a couple hours a day, really. Um, So that's kind of where I choose to save money. So that's definitely a big budgeting tip is figure out what's most important to you and then skimp where you can and where it makes the most sense. Obviously, the goal of your trip will probably determine where you want to spend and where you want to save. So just kind of figure out what those things are and that will definitely help you. But here are two of my biggest tips, okay? I just said this, but hostels in Europe are such an affordable option for lodging. I am like in my early 30s now, and I feel like I would be on the older end of people staying in hostels, but I don't think I care. (laughs) I don't really think I care. I'd probably, if I were to go to Europe tomorrow, still opt to stay in a hostel. Um, I stayed in some really amazing cities for like $25 a night, which what? That's so cheap. Um, And oftentimes they're like dorm style, right? So I would choose female only dorms. It was just a bunch of girls, super chill. Um, And I, yeah, I would do it all over again. And usually I found um, that I would meet people there too, especially as a solo traveler. I would meet other solo travelers in hostels. And, you know, now I have friends that I still stay in touch with that I met in like 
Switzerland or Rome, things like that. So especially if you're solo traveling, I think hostels are great options. Or if you're going with like some friends, hostels are so cheap. You could also probably do an Airbnb and split it and it would be cheap, but hostels are still going to be cheaper. So I just think that they're a great option. Airbnb, hostel, definitely going to save the most money there. Um, My other big tip is that you don't need to eat out for every meal. Um, And that will save you so much money. I suggest doing kind of like one to two meals that are on the cheap side. So either kind of eating at your hotel or your hostel, which by the way, a lot of hostels offer a simple free breakfast um, with your stay. So that's another win. Like you're paying $25, $30 a night and it includes breakfast. That's such a deal. Um, but yeah, well, you can also like do grocery stores. Like when I was in Paris, I was staying in this little artist apartment in um, St. Germain and I went to the grocery store that was a couple blocks away and just got a bunch of food that I could take up like fruits and vegetables and granola bars and things like that that I could eat up there or take with me as I was wandering through the city. And then I was able to have like one really nice meal out and not feel a strain on my budget. Um, I could go get like a really good French meal. So anyway, that's a huge tip I have for saving money while you're traveling. All right, what are your suggestions for destinations for a first solo trip? So I mean, this is going to be so specific to each person, but I recommend looking for cities that have good public transit options and or um, just that are generally set up to be friendly to tourists. So I just, you know, the world is a really big place. <laughs> so there are so many options um, for cities or destinations that you could choose to visit. Um, so just like, you know, again, think of what is important to you. Like, do you want to do a lot of outdoorsy things? Do you want to be like in like the urban center of a city? Things like that. Um, I do have a couple of suggestions. I think um, if you're in the States, some really great cities you could visit are New York City. I do think obviously New York is huge, um, but it's a great city to go to if you want to like really feel like a badass traveler because you're navigating subways and you know, it's just I and, and no one cares if you're by yourself in New York. That's also something I really love and could probably talk about for quite a while is everyone's kind of doing their own thing. And so going to a restaurant or a bar or coffee shop by yourself, like there's no no one's going to bat an eye because people do that kind of stuff in a city like that all the time. So New York is a good one. I think Chicago is also a great city you could go to. They have great public transit as well. Austin, Texas is super fun. I don't know about their public transit. You'd probably need to rent a car because it's a pretty like widespread city, um, but it's super fun. The culture is really great. Good food, good music, good nightlife, things like that. And then Nashville. Um, Nashville is a great city. Again, there's uh, our public transit is god awful. You'd have to rent a car, but it is a really fun city. Again, it's widespread, so there's lots to do out here. Um, and then obviously, there. I mean, there are so many cities. I think Portland is fantastic. Um, I love New Orleans. I love Charleston. Um, I think Seattle's great. There's so many places. But if I were to just give you a couple, New York, Chicago, Austin, Nashville, I think you can't go wrong in those kinds of places. As for international, I have a couple of recommendations for you. One is Vancouver in British Columbia, Canada. Um, That was actually my first solo international trip was to Vancouver. Um, Not far over the border from Washington State, but um, loved it. People were great. Food was fantastic. There was a lot of outdoor activities as well as things to do in the city cool breweries pretty easily walkable but they also have really good public 
public transit. So great city there. Um, and then if you're going international, and I always would say maybe do Europe first because it's the most quote unquote like America or like the U.S., um, so it won't be too far out of a comfort zone necessarily if you're a little hesitant. Um, London is great. Uh, it's massive. London is huge, um, but they have fantastic public transit and um, tons to see and do, lots of history, um, as well as Paris. I love Paris so much. Um, again, public transit is fantastic. Great food, great things to do. Um, yeah, those are some really great cities for a first solo trip. How do you feel safe while exploring alone and how do you find safe places to stay? So these are definitely more solo travel centric questions and I get so, so many questions about safety like all the time. Um, I actually have an entire bonus lesson in the Simple Guide to Solo Travel dedicated to staying and feeling safe while you're traveling. But here are some of my top tips. So first of all, try to look like a local as much as possible. And what I mean by that is to do your best to not stand out and look like a tourist. Um, namely, I would say don't carry around like a big old camera around your neck or something like that that like screams tourist or a money belt that can be seen obviously that would show that you don't feel safe there so you have your money like right at your chest or right at your belt um and I'd say like just try to like look like you know where you're going even if you don't necessarily just like feign confidence um keep kind of keep your head up things like that that definitely helps you to not stick out um get off your phone in in the vein of um keeping your head up get off your phone and I mean it um don't look at your phone all the time especially when you're wandering around a city um obviously look at google maps if you need to so that you know where you're going um but yeah, it can really keep you from being aware of what's happening around you. So kind of use your phone when you need to, but don't be looking down at it all the time because you will absolutely stick out like a sore thumb. Um, and then last tip would be to make copies of your travel plans, your passport, your credit card, all those sorts of things. And make sure that both you, when you're traveling, as well as somebody back home, has those copies. Because if, God forbid, something were to happen, you just want to make sure that they had those copies for you. Um, so yeah, that's definitely a tip of mine. Also, if you kind of want to like, quote unquote, test run feeling safe while you're traveling, I say do these things in your own city first. Like, walk around highly tourist areas by yourself or go to a coffee shop or a restaurant solo, um, things like that. I promise it will both increase your awareness and your confidence, which ultimately will help you both feel and stay safer no matter what, where you might be, whether you're in your hometown or you're halfway around the world. Okay, next question. How do you get past some of the psychological barriers of eating alone, etc.? Um, I really think this piggybacks off the last question for sure. I have learned to just really, really enjoy my own company. And so I love getting out and doing things solo. Um, I will say sometimes there are like moments of feeling lonely or wishing there was somebody there with me. But generally speaking, I love doing things on my own. So here are a few of my tips for kind of getting started on that journey 
um, of doing things solo and feeling comfortable doing so. So first, start small. Go to a coffee shop um, alone. Bring something like a book or a laptop or something like that to kind of keep you busy while being alone in that place. Um, Don't use that crutch forever, though. (laughs) You know what I mean? Um, But yeah, bring something that kind of keeps you busy, but just kind of get comfortable. Kind of get like more familiar with doing things on your own and being okay with it. Then you can move on to something like going to a movie solo, which happens to be one of my favorite solo activities. I love going to a movie alone. I do also, I go to movies with friends a lot. I have an unlimited movie pass, uh, which is kind of silly, but I do. Um, And a friend of mine does as well. So we do go see a lot of movies together, but sometimes I just go by myself if she can't come or, you know, if there's a scheduling issue, I'll just go alone or if I just want to. And I love going to movies by myself. Um, and then if and when you decide to kind of upgrade, you could go to a restaurant solo. But I would say, you know, maybe start with something smaller like a brunch or a lunch before dinner or something like that. Um, a lunch before dinner. I mean, doing a lunch before you do a dinner. <laughs> um, I think, you know, that just kind of will ease you into that again. I highly recommend actually sitting at the bar um, if that's available and chatting with the bartender or again, bringing something like a book with you. I promise this is way more normal than you might think it is, especially in big cities. So yeah, get comfortable doing something like that. Um, And then yeah, again, like I said, you can kind of move your way up to doing a dinner solo. Ultimately, I just think that the biggest tip I have for you is to learn to enjoy your own company. Um, Try not to run to other people when things get uncomfortable or maybe a little bit of loneliness creeps in. Instead, kind of lean into those feelings and choose to like push through it and persevere. Um, I promise it's worth doing so. I've had to do it a lot in the last 10 years of being single and then the last five years of solo traveling. Um, but it's worth it. It's totally worth it because your confidence skyrockets. You're, you you realize you're so much stronger than you thought you were and you never want to stop then going to do the things that you want to do because you know you can, which is really fantastic. And after all, if you're not willing to be uncomfortable, how are you going to grow? Am I right? That needs to be like a tweetable thing or an Instagram graphic. <laughs> all right, I've got one more question and this is one I've been asked quite a few times as well. And I'm pretty passionate about the answer. So last question. What if you've been saving some of your bucket list destinations for when you're dating or married? (sighs) This question, you guys. Um, Listen, I totally understand wanting to save special things or dreams or destinations for quote unquote when. However, um, and this might be a hard truth to swallow, but it is a truth. So our when's um, are not always guaranteed. It's, it's kind of like when someone says they're going to wait to travel until they're retired, right? Like you might not even live to 65, um, because life is hard and things happen outside of our control all the time, let alone like your body being able to do the things that it, it might be able to do for you now, um, at that age. Like I saw a lot of older people when I was on my trips, in Europe especially, a lot of older people in Rome and Paris and these big cities. And it was fantastic. I loved it. I loved seeing so many generations of people traveling. But I mean, you could tell it hurt their bodies a lot more than it hurt my 27-year-old body at the time. And so, yeah, I just think waiting till when is like not 
it's not my jam. I just don't want you to wait. I don't want you to wait. If you can, I want you to do things now. Um, I know that statistics do show that most people will get married. Um, so the odds might be in your favor in that regard. But at the same time, what if it turns out um, that your future spouse or your future partner has like little to no desire to travel to that place that you've been waiting to go to or something happens that makes that trip harder to take when, take once you guys are together. I just think there are too many unpredictable variables to be waiting for if or waiting for when when it comes to really anything. Um, all of that is just me trying to explain in a gentle but real way like just don't do that like screw that screw waiting (laughs) screw waiting for if if you're if slash when you're dating or married um screw waiting for someday when the desire and maybe even the means exist right now if you've always wanted to travel to south america and are waiting for a, a when or an if just stop stop waiting and just do it now if you can really my my biggest piece of advice here would be to do the things you feel led to do Say yes to um, those destinations, those trips, those dreams, um, because chances are that you were given those desires for a reason. So say yes and stop waiting for something that might not even happen or at the very least might not happen the way you think that they will. Um, So yeah, take the trip. (laughs) Book the flight, start the business, uh, make that cross-country move, whatever that thing might be. Um, don't wait for if or when, just do it now. If you have the means and the margin and the desire and you feel led, I think you should do it now. So guys, those are my most frequently asked questions around solo travel. I want to make sure I gave that to you guys um, to help you as you start dreaming, scheming, and planning for your future trips this year and beyond. As a reminder, I do offer travel planning. So if you are in like the thick of it and you're ready to start making things a reality and you want a little help with research or creating your itinerary or culling the places that you want to go, maybe even help with helping with booking or um, maybe even just hopping on a call to ask me all your questions specifically. I do one-on-one consulting as well as travel planning. You know where to find me. <laughs> I'm Janine on Instagram. Uh, my website is janine.com. I would love to help you guys get out into the world and say yes to your dreams and desires. So thanks for being here. And I hope that this has been helpful to you. I'll talk to you guys all soon. Thanks for tuning into this episode of Wild Hearts with Janine. I hope that the content in this episode has encouraged and inspired you to step out and say yes to the things that God has for you. And hey, while I've got your attention, I would absolutely love it if you went ahead and subscribed, rated, and reviewed Wild Hearts with Janine. It would honestly mean so much to me. I'll see you guys back here when the next episode drops. But until then, keep dreaming, seeking, and stepping out in faith.